Okay, guys, we are looking at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. Okay, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. So we're going to talk about grace, okay, and human behavior. Now, grace is the grace that was shown to you in salvation. Grace is the experience of salvation in your life in spite of you, okay? Grace is mercy that you don't deserve, that God gave to you. So does everybody recognize you don't deserve salvation? Does everybody understand that? That is a tenet, a chief truth in Christianity. There is nothing about you that deserves to be saved from hell. Every single one of us deserves to go to hell, period. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care how much you were brought up in the church. I don't care how perfect a life you live. There is no such thing as a perfect life. There's only one person who lived the perfect life. Who was that? Jesus. And so to everyone who comes to an understanding of who Christ is, and who comes to salvation, that's grace shown to you by God, okay? But we're going to see how grace is supposed to affect our human behavior. Because even though you're saved, you're still what? Human, yeah. You're still human, and Bruce said it, sinners, okay? So let's look first of all at verses 3 through 8 of chapter 3. Now, he's going to describe how we used to be in verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. All right, so let's take a look here. We're going to talk about the motivation of grace. Grace should be motivating you, okay? Grace and salvation should be motivating you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's actually two types of motivation from grace. One is that he's talking about here. Another is a sinful attitude, which we'll mention here in a few moments, okay? So first of all, our past life. Paul reminds Titus concerning our past lives as unbelievers. This is true of you whether you came to Christ as a five-year-old or whether you came to Christ later in life. The fact of the matter is, is you were marked by sin. You were driven by the lusts of this world, the lusts of your flesh, the deception of Satan, and the influence of the world. That's what Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 2. I believe it's verses 1 and 2. So the fact is, is Paul is wanting to remind them about their past lives. If you want to understand grace, 
and why it should be motivating you right now, you need to understand what you got saved from. Do you understand? Sometimes we forget that. You and I need to be really considering the fact of what God saved us from. You know what I'm saying? So as unbelievers, we were arrogant rebels who were willfully disobedient to God. I don't like the way you said that, George. I like what the Bible says better. Well, no, this is just a general summarized statement. If you look at all of the things that he talks about what we were like in our past life as unbelievers, we were basically arrogant, rebels against God, willfully disobedient to him, right? Wouldn't you say that? And yeah, arrogant. So you and I need to grasp what you were saved from. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you were saved from. Not to, like, have you ever heard testimony sometime when somebody gets up and, and they talk about their salvation experience, but then they talk about what they were like before, and it's almost like they're relishing in what they used to do when they're telling about how Jesus saved them? You know, it's, it's not that you need to relish in your past. You need to recognize that God saved you from a lot. He, he intervened in your life because if he hadn't intervened in your life, you would have gone down a different path. You know, I think about that often in my life. If God hadn't reached out in 19, April of 1985, 33 years ago, and touched my life, I can't really tell you where I'd be today. I wouldn't be here. Do you understand what I'm saying? wouldn't be here. I don't know. My life wouldn't be stable. I know that. How do I know that? Because I look at, my, look at my own same family, and I know what the direction they went in. And you can know from that that if it wasn't God's grace in your life, you would have gone in that same direction as well. Why? Because we tend to follow in the direction of our family, don't we? Because that's what we were raised in. So really, when you need to reflect back on your unsaved condition, it should elicit from you what? Thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for intervening in my life. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because I was doing my own thing. It, I was pursuing my own lusts and my own desires. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When we use that word lust, we always want to default to the thought of sexual lusts. But he's not just talking about sexual lusts. You could lust other things besides sex. You could lust stuff, money, power. Did you understand what I'm saying? Achievement. It's talking about out-of-control desires in your life. Do you understand? That consume you. Do you understand? That consume you. You ever met people who are consumed by their lusts? Not sexual lusts. We've met those kind of folks. But who are consumed by other lusts for things? You know? You were like that before you became a believer. So now in verses 4 to 6, he's going to tell us about the work of salvation. Okay? So here's what God did. Okay? So first of all, in the midst of our unbelief, the kindness and love of God appeared to men. In the midst of our unbelief, the kindness and love of God appeared to all men. All right, let me just stop. I want to ask you a question. 
You ever been rejected? You ever had somebody reject you? Rebel against you? Did everything they could against you? You ever had that happen? How did you feel about that person? I want honest answers. How did you feel about that person? Thank you, Donna. That's right. You didn't like them, okay? You wanted to destroy them, not physically, but in other ways. Yeah, you want to, like, get back at them, okay? Yeah, that's a nicer way than your... <laughs> Bruce said he wants to destroy them in other ways, okay? Thank you for your honesty, Bruce. Lori? Avoid? Anybody else? Somebody rejects you. First of all, do you like rejection? Oh, I love rejection. I just love people rejecting me. Nobody loves rejection, right? Okay. How do you respond to that? I mean, think back to high school. A lot of rejection going on in high school, right? Think about when you're in high school, when there were groups of people who rejected you. How did you feel? What, and, and what usually wells up within you? All right, you said it, Sam. Hatred and anger, okay? All right. Do you feel like you want to go the extra mile for those people? All right, not at all. Y'all are being sheepish, like, I don't know if I could be that mean. Just tell it like it is, okay? Yeah, Br yeah. Bruce is over here. I don't know. I said, I don't know if I could be that mean. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We understand where you're at, Bruce, okay? <laughs> All right, well, listen. That's what's amazing about salvation. Because God could have done the same thing to us. And he could have been justified, right? Could he have been justified in saying, well, you know what? I washed my hands of them. I tried. From the very beginning, they rejected. I've given them opportunity after opportunity. I'm done. But he loved us. And he showed kindness towards us, is what the Scripture is saying here. That, that's grace, isn't it? That's grace. In the midst of our unbelief and the kindness and love of God appeared to men. How did it appear to men? Who did it appear as in the person of who? Jesus, right? Okay. Now, salvation came to man through God's mercy and not by our works of righteousness. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, this came through his mercy towards us. Not because you're good. We well, might be good on human standards, but as far as the biblical God standard, we're not good. Do you know what I'm saying? Here's what, you know, I've you ever had these kind of thoughts. I sometimes think about my life that sometimes even the good things that I do are bad. You ever thought about that? Probably if you probably a lot of us haven't. I mean, I just started thinking that a while back. Even the good things that I do are bad because maybe the motive for doing them is what? Wrong. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Because I'm doing it for, look at me, you know, out of ambition or ego or whatever. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's sort of like, you know, here's my present, Dad. What you get me? You know? All for that whole aspect of that we're wrong. But God showed mercy to us. God showed mercy to us. So then salvation came to man as he was regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. See, when you got saved, this is what I want you to understand. When you became a believer, when you by faith reached out to him and he touched your life, he changed you. He changed you. He made you new. He gave you a new mind. He gave you a new outlook. He changed you so that you would no longer be driven by your lust, so that you would no longer be driven to want to be disobedient. He gave you a new heart that would seek after him, a new mind that would understand him. He washed you clean. How many of you, if you're like me, you live with regrets from past sins, right? I, I dare say as you get older, you can remember sins from 20 years ago that you regret. Ever done that? 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You remember them, and they never leave you, do they? But God, when he regenerates you, washes you, cleanses you from your sin. That's awesome. Did you know what I'm saying? That's awesome. That's salvation. That's what should be motivating us to a new life, okay? That's what should be motivating us to the life, at new life. So at salvation, the Holy Spirit was given to us abundantly through Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You have got to understand this point. The very instance that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were sealed immediately. Immediately. I can't even think of, like there's a nano, I think the smallest form of time that I understand is a nanosecond. But I think even beyond that, God instantly, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit entered into your life to seal you, to guarantee you for what? Salvation. He was given to you abundantly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abundantly, you have the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in you. Now, do we recognize that sometimes? You know, like, I, 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 I never was a big fan of the WWJD. You remember that fad from 15 years ago? What would Jesus do if he were here? I never was a fan of that. The reason why is God's already here. It's the Holy Spirit with you, so you need to ask yourself, do I really want to do this because the Spirit of God is here? Did you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, Sam. Yes, yes. Sometimes we don't treat him as a person. That's exactly right. And he is a person. Yeah, he's a spirit, but he is a person. Okay? That's exactly right. That little book that Sam's talking about, 
is this one up here by A.W. Tozer, uh, How to Be Filled with the Spirit, okay? So, all right, let's go on. So what happens then is you become heirs. Because we've been justified by his grace, we become heirs of the hope of salvation. Do you know what I'm saying? You become heirs of the hope of salvation. Now, I think we all understand inheritance, right? That's kind of like what you get when your relative dies and you are given that, you know, you know that when I die, my dad's going to leave me the cabin or my dad's going to leave me his shotgun or when my dad dies, he's not leaving me anything. I don't have an inheritance. We understand that when somebody dies, sometimes there's inheritance, right? Okay. This concept is a little bit different because it's not when Jesus dies you get that. He already died. He died so that you can have an inheritance. You receive the inheritance when? You go to be with him when you die or he comes back to take you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's when, so that's what your hope is, is that when I'm done here in my journey here, I'm receiving a what? An inheritance. Okay? An inheritance. So those who have believed in God should carefully, this is what he's going to say now, those who have believed in God should what? Carefully maintain good works. Now, the response of grace should be that I need to be careful how I live my life. That I need to be careful about how I live my life. Now, I told you that there's a second response. The second response is actually not a biblical response. The second response is, well, since I'm saved, since I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want to do. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Not God forbid. No. Grace is not a license to go do what you want to do, right? And I would dare say if you have that attitude, I would question if you truly understand salvation, if you truly understand Jesus. Okay? You've got to really wrestle with that one. It's not a license to go do what you want to do. The proper response to grace in our lives should be what? Trying to maintain good works. Now, there's a third response. It's not a biblical response either, but there is a third response. There's the guy who responds to grace by maintaining good works. There's a guy who uses it as a license to go do whatever he wants to do, but there's a third response. It's the response of ignorance where you don't really understand grace enough that it affects your life, you just kind of go on without any thought about it. Do you understand? You're ignorant of it. And that's where I think a lot of us are at. We just kind of go about life on our own without any thought to our responsibility towards grace. Do you understand? With our responsibility towards grace. And here's what he's saying. He's telling us devoting ourselves to good works is profitable to men. You responding to grace by maintaining good works, that's profitable. That's a good thing. There's benefit to that. 
Okay? There's benefit to you doing the right thing. Think about that. That only makes sense, right? Because, I mean, again, Romans, what are the wages of sin? Death. The outcome of sinning is always going to be what? Bad. There's always going to be consequences for sinning. Do you understand? Just recognize that. You can't sin and think like you're going to get away with it and there's not going to be any kind of problem. The outcome of sin is always going to be devastating. Not just to you. There's no such thing as a private sin. Right? No such thing as a private sin. Hey, by the way, if you haven't realized this, you know, years ago when the internet first came out, people thought that there was anonymity and you could just go on the internet and do whatever. And I remember, even all the way back in 96, talking to a computer guy and he was saying to me, you know, people don't understand that there is no true anonymity on the internet. That there's a record of where you go always. And he said, and people think, well, I can just wipe out my hard drive and it will be gone. No, the government knows how to go in there and, and find, because everything is layered. So eventually they'll find where you've been. You ever notice when they, when they arrest somebody now, what do they take when they arrest? They take their what? Computer. And their what? Smartphone. You know what I'm saying? It's just like even I was reading a blog about some preacher who made some statements. I was reading a blog. He was talking about a preacher who made some statements, and he was getting controversial. So he went back and he deleted all of his blog posts that talked about it, like nobody, there's no evidence that I did that. Well, there's something on the Internet called the Wayback Machine. And people can go to the Wayback Machine and bring up what you said a year ago that you wiped out now. There's a record. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a record. What am I saying? There's no secret sins. You're not sinning to yourself. So doing right is profitable to what? It's beneficial to all men. All right, so let's talk about doing right. So verses 9 through 11, he's going to talk about inconsistent behavior. Inconsistent with what? Inconsistent to the grace that was shown to you. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So these are things you and I need to avoid. So let's talk about them. Number one, avoid foolish teaching. Titus was to avoid foolish arguments about Scripture because they're useless. You know, I went and picked Foster up yesterday from Cedarville, and, you know, when you drive in six hours, you've got lots of time to talk. So we're just talking a lot about school, and, you know, he's in the biblical studies program, and, you know, we're talking about stuff that biblical students get involved in. And a lot of times, can I be honest with you, it's useless and meaningless what? Arguments over stuff that are meaningless. In fact, it's amazing. He's in school now, and what he was describing to me was going on when I was in school 30 years ago. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Nothing's changed. And you know what? It wasn't profitable then, and it's not profitable now. Did you understand what I'm saying? And you have people, you ever met people, not just if you, because most of you aren't going to a Bible school, but have you ever got into an argument with somebody about some kind of scriptural something or another, and it just was meaningless? Like foolish? Like why are we even spending time talking about this? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I saw on TV this guy said that. Well, I don't care what that guy said. My Bible says this. Let's talk about what the Bible says, not what somebody else said, you know? So, the pro, you know, we need to avoid foolish arguments. Paul says, because they're useless. Do you understand? Useless. In fact, he's going to flat out say to you that those kind of people, they want to argue about stuff. You ever met people like that? They just want to argue? They are, what, what kind of person is that? Divisive. So he tells you how to handle a divisive person, okay? Here's what Paul says about handling a divisive person. Believers are to reject divisive people who have been given ample warnings about their sin. In fact, Paul says, after the second time of telling them, hey, you know what, this is meaningless, why are you doing this? He says, you avoid that person. Why waste your time? Why waste your time? I've actually gotten to the place now where I don't, I don't have time. There's too many other things going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's too many other things to get involved in foolish little arguments. Did I see your hand back there, Lori, or are you just rubbing your hair? Uh, no, this is, if you look at this, this is with reference to people who say they're a part of the church. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is to, with reference to people who say they're a part of the church. Okay, stop for a moment. You ever notice that sometimes in church you'll have people that are single-issue focused? Their whole focus, their whole thinking about life is one issue. What are some of the issues that some people can get fixated on? What are some of the issues? You, I mean, what? Dress. Dress? Okay, legalism. Okay. Okay, money, okay, all right. Food, yes, okay, diet, okay. Uh, and I would even go further, like eating like the Old Testament says. Yeah, or like, uh, like the Jews. Yes, eating like the Jews. Yep, yep, Hallelujah Acres is a company that used to eat like the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying? All right, so, uh, uh, some yeah, politics, you know, because that can be politicized in church, you know what I'm saying? What else? And times, John, you said it. That one's big. You ever met somebody who's totally fixated? Everything he watches, he's got the new Bible and the newspaper. He relies on the newspaper more than his Bible. And he's talking about what? How the latest thing fits into what? The end times. And you met people like that. How about other issues? Well, I mean, we're anti-abortion, but what about abortion? You ever met somebody whose total focus is abortion? Here's one. Uh, has to do with addiction issues. I've met people whose total focus is they totally think every church needs to be involved in addiction ministry, which that's good, but there's more to life in, the, in church than what? That. And sometimes when you have people who are single-focused, they can get what? 
argumentative about their issue, right? Isn't that true? Ever found that to be true? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Ever found that to be true? I mean, I have been with people like, okay, um, Tammy mentioned politics. I can remember years ago, years ago, this has been 20 years ago, before I even came to this church, and I was in another church, and I heard a guy make a statement that if you vote Democrat, you can't be a Christian. I see. Jesus died on the cross. I can't do anything for salvation. He saves me as I am. It has nothing to do with salvation. But that was a single-issue person, right? Now, this is the kind of thing Paul's talking about here, right? From such a person, you've got to give him ample warning, you, you know, and you, you need to say, you know what, seriously, Really? I would think that went through before you said that. But if he keeps doing it, then what does Paul tell us to do? Yeah, avoid that kind of person. I saw a hand. Yeah, Sam. I was going to say a lot of lot of these are nowadays about gender. Okay, yeah. Yeah, gender issues, okay. What were you going to say, Lori? I saw maybe you're just laughing. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, Mike. Yes, yes, yep. Out east, yeah, out in Lancaster area, yep. Okay, yep. Yes, that's exactly right. Oh, wow. And the hardest thing to convince a good person to try to bring them around to God and Jesus and sin is because they're up here with the good. Yeah, they think their morality, yes. Yep. And, and that's where I find that it's hard to, to talk to people who have the attitude that yes. so good. Yeah, and I would say, Mike, what you can do is, is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, Paul talks about how the moralist, what you're describing as a moralist, how a moralist is condemned. Why? Because he judges the rest of the world by a standard, but the Bible says they can't live up to their own standard. Yes, pride. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Nobody can live. How many of you live up to the standards you have? Had you told your kids not to do something, only to have them catch you doing it? Right? <laughs> he probably didn't tell you. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Right? That's, nobody can live up to any standard we have. All right? So believers are to reject this vice of people. That's, that's the first thing. Because of grace, you don't have, can I be honest with you, because of grace, you don't have time. Do you got time? 
I mean, those people will suck up your time, right? And, and a lot of times they're arguing things in Scripture that, you, that don't have a clear answer in the Scripture. Yes, there's a lot of times they're arguing things in the Scripture that don't have a clear answer. You're exactly right, Bruce. Okay? And you don't have time for that. Did you understand? Which would you rather do? Spend your time talking to somebody who's really interested in knowing about Jesus or arguing with somebody about blood moons? Do you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, what's a blood moon? Just ask John Hagee, okay? You're not gonna, you can't argue them to believe in them, no matter what. Yeah, you're not going to argue. You know, Foster made this statement to me yesterday in the vehicle. I thought it was a good statement. You can't argue people into any kind of conclusion. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't argue people into the kingdom. Understand that. Don't get into arguments with people because you can't argue them into the kingdom. Okay? Let's go on. So, he's going to give some final words here. First of all, let's talk about these kind of people. We must recognize that the divisive people are warped, sinful, and self-condemned. Does everybody understand that? When a person comes into a church, have you ever noticed that when somebody comes into a church and they're always right, sooner or later, they're going to cause a problem? And part of the problem is, is they are, one of the issues that they're struggling with is they think they know better. They think they know better. And they end up creating problems. And, and Paul's saying, recognize that those people are warped Sinful. They are self-condemned. They've deceived themselves. Okay? Now, he's going to give some final words here in verses 12 through 15. Let me read those to you. When I send Artemis to you, Antichrist, be diligent to come to Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they lack nothing. Let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. All right, so let me just go through these. Some final words here. First of all, some instructions to Titus. So after Artemis and uh, Tychicus came, Titus was to make the effort to come to Paul. So once these other two workers came, Titus was then supposed to make the effort to go to Paul. Paul's in prison, okay? So Titus was supposed to go visit Paul now. Once they get there, they get things under control, do you come see me, okay? Now, concerning Zenos and Apollos. Now, we know Apollos from the book of Acts. He was an eloquent speaker, a good teacher in the early church. Zenos must have been another worker as well. Titus was to send Zenos and Apollos on their way as their needs were met. Now, one of the things you're going to see in Scripture over and over again, it's the church's responsibility to take care of who? Workers. To go do, their, go do what they're supposed to do. Help them. Okay? Help them. Concerning the church there in Crete, the church was to learn to maintain good works and to meet urgent needs. So this is what we should be teaching, is focusing on you responding out of grace and what? Doing what you need to do that's right, but also meeting urgent needs of people. You need to be ready to what? Respond to other people with their needs, okay? Respond to other people with their needs. Why? 
This is so that they will not become unfruitful. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He's saying here that they are to to maintain good works, focus on maintaining good works in their life out of that grace, and meeting urgent needs that present themselves because if they don't do that, they're going to become what? Unfruitful. They're going to become useless. So how we become useful to God is by what? Doing what's right and meeting the urgent needs around us. What is, that means getting our focus off of self and getting it outward. Do you understand? It means getting our focus off of self and moving it outward. Okay? Moving it outward. Now, he gives some final greetings. Paul sends greetings from those who are with him as he sends greetings to the believers there. So he always closes out by saying, hey, everybody who's with me says hi. Tell everybody who's there with you, hello. You know what I'm saying? And then he bestows a blessing of grace to all. He bestows a blessing of grace. That's it. That's it. 